Well, good morning, folks. It's lovely to see your faces. Maybe you could have a bit more light so I could. That, that's better. When, when you preach, you look into people's eyes to see whether they're listening. The new year is upon us. The sense of renewal that a new year can bring is often linked with fresh hopes and ambitions. We enter it with faith, trusting that it'll be better than the year just passed. And what's written in the book of uh, the New Testament book of Hebrews applies here. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. What lies ahead of us is unfulfilled and uncommitted days. They stretch out before us and we'll seek to accomplish much and avoid much. But the new year has another aspect in that we can reflect on what has passed because the pace of life as it is doesn't allow much time for that. Now, making new year resolutions is all part of the fun, but um, I suggest that we should ditch them and just think of the fact that the future is unknown. So instead of resolutions, how about we start every day with making three resolutions, say, about what we will do with the day and thus make the day more productive. And interestingly, Time magazine this week has an article in it, The Secret Pleasure of Breaking New, <laughs> New Year Resolutions. And maybe you ought to read it. But this morning I've chosen to speak on the Apostle's words. You won't see my face anymore as he farewells the church at Ephesus where he has been with them for two years. Now the time frame raises a question. How could anyone who spends two years with, with a church write later and not even mention the folk that are there? This is one of the thorny questions about the letter to the Ephesians. According to the text of Ephesians, Paul was the author. But a couple of hundred years ago, scholars came up with the idea that someone who knew Paul's writings very well, but yet was at a later stage, he, Paul passed on, um, used his thoughts to rewrite the letter uh, his thoughts into the letter to the Ephesians uh, so that it applies to a different situation. Now, manuscripts agree with this idea. Some critics think that the first words in Ephesians 1.1, who are, was, filled, uh, was, was followed by a blank in which a church could have uh, the name put in it. And as I said, some of the manuscripts leave out um, the word Ephesus. But enough of New Testament scholarship, you can follow it up in your own time. I'm applying these words of Paul um, to two situations today. We can, ourselves can say of 2023, we will never see your face anymore. But you can also say it to me or I could say it to you because uh, I'm soon going home. Yeah, going home after 43 years in Tasmania. As my daughter wrote a week ago, coming back to where you ought to be. <laughs> I arrived in 1981 purposely to work with the Baptist churches of Tasmania. And I'll be very brief on this because I'm not going to talk long about myself. 
I went through the Baptist Theological College of Victoria and completed the course. And then um, at, by 18, 1981, I had completed a pastorate in a Melbourne inner city church, right on the edge of the red light district. I arrived in Melbourne in 81 for two reasons. The office had an office here, so I picked that up. Uh, but I also came hoping to get a small church where I could pastor uh, it again. What encouraged me as working as a worker pastor in Melbourne, and I got approval from the office to have a day a week off to do this, was that the church I had in St Kilda, uh, the membership went up by 180% in 30 months while I was there. It was listed as a must, among the must fastest growing Baptist churches in Victoria. So I thought I'd come down here and do it again, God willing. On our arrival, we joined the Hobart Baptist Church, but no small church situation became available. It was initially planned that I would work in Launceston, but then the office there closed down two months before I came. So even so, living in Hobart, I, 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 was, I kept on, and in 1983... Two years after a writing, I offered to, to assist to write the history of the Hobart Baptist Church. And um, Ron Soundy, the leading elder, says to me, who's been in Tasmania for two years, now don't forget the little Baptist chapel that was around the corner in Harrington Street. To which I replied, what chapel? So apart from the Hobart Baptist Church history, which I wrote on my own, I produced a 130-page history of this little chapel around the corner. And the book is entitled Baptist in Van Diemen's Land, the story of Australia's first Baptist church. Yeah, Hobart had the first constituted Baptist church in Australia and I discovered that through documents. That put one of the Sydney church's nose out of joint. It really did. And, um, and then... Um, I was asked to become contributing editor of the state paper, The Advance, which you got for 28 years from me. During this time, the Burney Church asked for its centenary history. Interesting, the secretary rang me in August. I can't remember exact day, but she said, we need a, history of our, a centenary history of our church for October. Can you do it for us? August, September, October. So I said to her, why didn't you ask me in January? Oh, we had someone else in mind, she said. <laughs> anyway, then later the Olveston Church got in touch and they wanted a centenary history. And then the Yola Church got in touch and it wanted a, a, a centenary history too. Now, the book Baptist in Van Diemen's Land was written like an MA. It had footnotes. It was very detailed. Um, and uh, I used it to get into the university to go direct from no degree to a Master of Arts, and they let me in. The thesis focused on the formation of our Baptist Union of uh, Tasmania, which took place, as I said earlier, in 1883. Now, since then, I wrote a sister volume to the, the, uh, the Hobart Chapel, the one in Launceston, which I finished about four years ago. Then, as you know, I wrote the 75th anniversary of Yelena Valley history, 
thanks to Mr French who uh, provided so many documents. And then when COVID hit, I thought, what am I going to do with myself? I got hundreds of files, so I've just turned out lessons from our first 20 years um, and I'll give the first 20 years of 16 of our chapters uh, of our um, of our, our Baptist churches. It's uh, a small work of 477 pages. If you want to buy it, it will be available soon. Anyway, I finally got the church I want. I got, I got the uh, Clarence City Council, Clarence Baptist Church when it closed down, thanks to the Furials, and um, that was a wonderful three years, looking after the remnants of the Clarence. Baptist Church. So in a week or so, I'm heading to Melbourne. I can say you won't see my face anymore and I can say that to Tassie Baptist. They're losing their residence, resident historian. Though Sheffield has made noises about coming back for a month later, next year, to do four weeks with them. I'm going for family reasons and I'm sorry to tell you, Tassie, Tasmanians, I'm glad to go back to the big smoke and all the cars. But I do have some regrets and you people are one of them. In a, once, in a sense though, this, these words, you will not see my face anymore, isn't so uh, startling after all. You've all been through it already, yourselves personally. Some of you have finished another school at year, at, at, at year, another year at school. Some have finished school altogether. Some have completed a uni year. Some have completed their university degrees. And many of us have attended funerals, knowing that the person in question will not be seen by us again in this lifetime. As Charles Dickens puts it, and he puts it so well, life is made of ever so many partings welded together. And reflecting on that, I thought, how true that is. But let's get back, let's, I mean, let's forget about me and let's get back to our common situation. Because of 2023, we can all say, you will not see my face anymore. Tonight we'll be watching the passing of an old year and the coming of a new. At 12 o'clock tonight, this earth of ours will be sailing through, through space, having completed another journey around the sun as we measure it on, it on our calendar. We little creatures living on its surface would have lived uh, another year of our short existences on earth. Tonight we are crossing a boundary into a new territory and whether we, were, whether we are 17 or 18 and setting out for exciting days or whether we are 40 on the plain level of, of midlife or whether we are 70 or 80 and thankful for evenings and content with the grandchildren's laughter, we are all trekking into a new country where there'll be no turning back. The most wonderful gift we are getting from God today is a new year tomorrow. And tomorrow we'll probably, some of us will probably wake up and uh, with, with, in the light of these immensities and eternities and ask, what's the, 
meaning of life. And here we point to Jeremiah 9, who warns us about three things in our new year that are not worthwhile. The first one is to glory in our wisdom. And uh, I did have a PowerPoint, and I'm not sure if they're working or not, but I had a PowerPoint up of Thales of Miletus, who lived 600 years before Jesus. He was a great intellectual genius. He began modern philosophy and science. He asked new questions and answered them in new ways. And we have continued his legacy today. We live in an, in an era of information overload. We all know that. The amount of wisdom available is growing rapidly and has led to, as I said, information overload. But it's possible that the end of all our, our knowledge, we might decide that what we have found with all our knowledge is not really ultimately the thing that matters. We... For all our knowledge and, also, and for the truth that we say that we might have found, we have to, might have to face the fact that we have rejected the ultimate truth, the story of God who has met us in Jesus, whose birth we have just celebrated. It's the one bit of truth that we need overall. And further in countries like that, ours like with its dependency on materialism and consumerism we have been led away from dependency on God. In this 21st century we need to learn again that progress is meaningless unless it goes with the knowledge of a God who has met us in the Christmas story. The author of the Must Love book, The Imitation of Christ, wrote, In the final examination, we examine not on how much we've learnt, but how well we have lived. True wisdom begins with the fear of God. So let, not, let us not glory in our wisdom. The second one is, let us not glory in our might. Now here I'm going to get personal in a way. When I think of that, I think of our mighty Bob Hawke who died recently and got some bad press near the end of his days. It was suggested that Bob, after all, was just a drunkard and a womaniser who left Hazel with the job of looking after the kids. Well, maybe he was, but I know that Australians loved him. The minister of the church I, had, uh, I was attending in Sandringham thought he was wonderful. He lived around the corner from me, about three blocks away. And at one stage, I didn't thank him, but I got a few truckloads or trailer loads of second-hand bricks off the front of his property because the builders told me I can take them away. I was extending my house at the time. But Bob gloried in might. And in 1980, he said, This stuff about the meek will inherit the earth is a lot of bull. The, the weak need the strong to look after them. Well, there's two thoughts that chasten such thoughts. We are tempted to glory in our might, but then we live in a universe that's so immense and that we are, draw, we are um, dwarfed into insignificance. When we consider the heavens, the moon and the stars, what is man, says the psalmist. Another thought comes to us when we think about how mighty we are how brief life is on earth. 
It is so brief. But the Christian gospel and the story of Christmas has told us that God has come near to us and has met us and it will meet us in our need. And the end of a year, it's not a sad time for those who know that they are in the hands of God. But for others, well, the end of the year could be a very cold time because they know that they've got less time to live. The third one, glory in our riches. In this coming year, let us not glory in our riches. Now, there was a book put out a few decades ago by Patrick Dennis. In, a, in the book called Auntie Mame, one, one of the best-selling American books, he speaks of the Uptons. The Uptons lived in every way like every American family wants to live. Not super rich, but well-to-do. They have two of everything. They have a flat in Park and they have a house in Connecticut. They have two cars, two children, a boy and a girl, two servants, a man and a maid, two clubs, town and country, two interests, money and possessions. Now, Seath Parker, writing in a woman's journal some decades before, wrote this. Some folks seem to get the idea that they're worth a lot just because they've got a lot of money. As they say, you are, but as they say, you are so poor, all you have is money. And that's a common danger for us all, not only for the rich person, but for me and you to glory in our possessions. Material gain and prosperity can become a snare and we can become totally absorbed in the business of making money. Jesus saw people doing that. And he spoke how they obsessed they get with the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. They had no time to think of God. And, if, and I hope you don't mind this, but we can reflect on the, the fortunes of our good friend James Packer and the chronic state that he is with his health and even with his wealth. He had a torrid upbringing. He could find no peace or happiness. And uh, maybe he could if he gave it all away and kept a few million for himself. As they say, we see how much a man has and therefore we em envy him. But how little he enjoys the wealth that he has. And if he doesn't enjoy his wealth, then we should pity him. Of course, some people don't pity Mr. Packer, they say, okay, he may be anxious, he may be depressed, he may be frustrated, he may be unhappy, he may be unwell, but one thing he's not, he's not broke. Or as they say, you can't take it with you and uh, that's not the place where it becomes handy. But in the big world of business, Packer's world, if power, influence, control and money are the primary markers of the life, I would suggest you're not a shrinking violet. More likely you're dogmatic, driven and a heartless bully. As one put it colourfully, ours is the age where one acts as if they own the place 
and the whole world revolves about them. They look after number one. And even in the presence of such a person, you can feel small and insignificant. Generally, they can, they'll treat you as someone to be treated on. The idea is if you're not prepared to give a thought about people, you can have it all. The so-called Packer rich life is so poor that we hardly need to point out its poverty. And for us to say, if we've got nothing more out of Christmas than goods and presents, then we've got nothing much at all. Or on a lighter note, if we've got nothing out of Christmas this year than a bloated stomach, then we haven't got much out of it either. So we come to the last thing, the thing that's worthwhile, and we come to Jeremiah. Let him who glories, glories in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. It was Martha King uh, Jr. who said, I want to do God's will. And he has allowed me to go to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. And he added, I'm so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes had seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And Abraham Lincoln said something similar. Nothing upsets me more than to be told that my purposes differ from the Almighty. Jeremiah's words, let him who glories glory in this, were written uh, between two and 3,000 years ago in Palestine, but they stand still today valued for their simplicity. We cannot go beyond them, and yet we can as Christians can, can go deeper, as Paul did when he said, far from me to glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. As, Christian, as Christmas is now past and the old world passes and a new world comes, these things that Jeremiah mentioned are the things that matter. To know this God who has come to us in Jesus, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our friend, and to experience his loving kindness. What else matters in an unstable, terrifying modern world? What else matters? We celebrated Jesus' birth a week ago. We can now celebrate the dawn of a new year, both with gladness, I trust. We can look forward to a new year with hope, because if we are, if we are God's sons and daughters, we'll be working with him <coughs> in, in this bewildering modern world for the good of others. So what shall we glory in this coming year? What will be our boast? Our wisdom, even those who are going at uni and learning all the wonderful things, academic achievements, our might, our riches. <coughs> the Apostle Paul provides an answer. Not so much it happened at Ephesus, but at Corinth. When Paul came to Athens, excuse me for a second, he made a, <coughs> he made a clever speak, speaking to the Athenians where they were, as we are told, starting with an inscription, quoting their philosophers and not mentioning Jesus. There weren't many converts. Then he went on to Corinth 
and he built up the church he loved. And then the church began to break up and he was brokenhearted by that. And he wrote in agony of spirit, echoing what he had said, um, I am determined to, nothing, to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and his, him crucified. We have something to glory in, something that Islam doesn't have, Judaism doesn't have, Buddhists don't have, Hindus can't offer, and that is simply Jesus. The, G, the, the New Testament makes it clear. He who knows Jesus knows the Father, for Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We should have no other boast, no other delight in this coming year. For he who understands Jesus uh, and knows Jesus knows the one who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness, and righteousness on the earth. That is enough for us. I close. So with myself, let us see this new year as a challenge. A challenge to set our fleeting days on earth against the background of eternity, knowing that our God in Christ is utterly for us. And with this challenge, I'm echoing uh, the great Bible commentator of the past, Alexander McLennan, for he wrote in one of his commentaries, we can hold on to life that is transient and trivial or hold on to life that is rooted in eternity. We can either unite our lives with the surface of time or with the centre of eternity. We can have a life that is connected with the unseen presence. What shall our petty lives attach themselves to? The perishable, noisy, or the calm, silent, most real, eternal order beyond the stars? Let's pray. Lord God, who, vent, who, who dares to venture in a new week, let alone a new year with all its possibilities and opportunities, challenges and problems, demands and anxieties, without the assurance of a greater help than what man or woman can give. So we turn to you, for we are the work of your hands. You have made us. All our life is your gift. All your power was in our creation and you are not indifferent, Lord, to our joys and aspirations. Your deepest care is for humankind. Our peace is your peace. We thank you that you are so vulnerable. Lord, we turn again to you at the beginning of this year and we ask your blessing on this fellowship as it proceeds. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Stay here for a minute. I just want to take a moment. Uh, we're going to be closing the service in a minute and encourage you to have your communion cups and bookmarks ready. But I just want to take a moment on behalf of the Baptist Union. I'm the Deputy Chair of the Council of the Baptist Union. Laurie, we want to say thanks. Like, it's not been a simple journey over 30 years, but you have been a gift to the Baptist Union in Tasmania. You have told our story well both as the editor of the Advance magazine then as the chronicler of our history. So on behalf of the Baptist Union, I want to thank you for your faithful service. And I, I think that deserves a round of applause, don't you? <laughs> and I might just pray for Laurie as he heads off. Jesus, 
We want to say thank you for the gift of Laurie Ralston. Thank you for uh, three decades of service to the Baptist Union of Tasmania. Thank you for the way he saw our story and told it. And uh, we just ask that you would be with him as he makes the journey back across Bass Strait. Help him have what he needs. Keep, keep your hand on the details. And I pray that this next chapter of his life will be fruitful. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank Amen. you.